0: Hi folks, welcome along to another episode of my weekly podcast Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. My favourite place to be once a week, sometimes twice a week, to share a conversation with you that I've had with someone from the world of film and music. Last week we had Mark Gronson and this week it's the turn of another great producer, musician and crate digger who joins me on Soundtracking. Just to say, I have wanted to have this gentleman on the podcast for so long. I never ever thought it was going to happen But it finally did. David Holmes is back with new music in the shape of his fantastic new album, which sees him collaborate with Raven Violet. As well as talking about that, we also discuss his score and music supervision work for film and TV for the likes of Steven Soderbergh. And also his experience of producing Sinead O'Connor's final work, which is yet to be released. It's a wonderful conversation if I do say so myself which began with him talking about his record Blind on a Galloping Horse if you haven't heard it yet please go and do it now in fact straight after this podcast but we'll start with a track from that album This is Necessary Genius
1: I believe you
2: doing okay oh
0: i'm great david how are you
2: i'm good i'm good i'm good i'm yeah. glad the album's out and i can just sort of have a little breather <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's been so long since i put a record out so doing all the press was like a new thing
0: yeah you'd I mean, forgotten I about like,
2: it yeah and then of course i'm like 15 years older <laughs> and you're like oh my god this is ta- this is like work
0: it's a different <laughs> but- landscape completely isn't it in terms of like how and what you would do around an album released 15 years ago is basically now so different
2: oh my god it's completely jeff barrett said to me he says david do you want to know what's changed about the music industry i want what jeff he went everything <laughs> <laughs> you know so i was like it made me laugh but he's he's, oh. he's totally true it's totally true even trying to get your record reviewed you know i did really well like i got mojo and uncut and the sunday times and it, it was nice but I've heard that a lot of people aren't even getting reviewed and, you know, and so many other papers they've become really kind of corporate. Yeah. So it's like, it's not about the quality anymore, really. It's about, you know, who's got the clout and the, you know. I
0: mean, I can't imagine what it's like for a new artist now in terms of trying to break through. I'm not as involved in kind of, you know, doing radio shows like I used to and stuff and but even when I was maybe about five years ago, I was doing a breakfast show on Virgin Radio. And for me, one of the main things about that was about trying to purely find things that I connected with. And so I wouldn't let anybody else do that for me. It was about me kind of listening to everything and not having any preconception about who, who it was. So it wasn't even about looking at who was who the artist was, what it was, which just you've got to listen to it, you've got to feel it, you've got to have a response to it sort of thing. There's not enough of that around at the minute. in terms. No, of- there wasn't.
2: I was actually sort of, you know, just daydreaming yesterday on my way home from the weekend. And I was thinking, if I had the money, you know, if I was like a billionaire, for instance, I would just start a magazine and it would just be for just good records. Yeah, And actually, you don't put the Rolling Stones on the cover. Come on. I think the audience is much cleverer than that. And I think that's a lot of people. There's a certain element of playing safe as well. When I meet someone, like if I meet a young, a young person, which often happens, I I get emails, can you give me some advice? I want to get into film, et cetera. And I just, the first thing I say to them is, if you cannot imagine doing music for the rest of your life and it's the only thing that's going to make you happy, then that's the only reason why you should do it. Because if you're going into this half-heartedly, yeah. It, you're wasting your time. You got to do it for you and not for the career and just trust in if your music's good enough, it will find an audience. But if you're getting into this half hearted yeah, and it's just like, yeah, that seems like a bit of a laugh. Forget about it because it's yeah. not going to happen. You're going to end up banging your head up against a yeah. brick wall.
0: Well, the lovely so- thing you've done with this record is bringing Raven on board as a full collaborator on this record just such a beautiful marriage of the world you've created and her voice is just amazing
2: well that's how Raven did get involved because her dad Keefis who is part of Unloved he rang me up and he says look Raven's at a bit of a loose end could you give her a ring because I'm Raven's godfather right
1: she decided
2: to get she decided to get christened when she was like 17 Mm -hmm. I want to get christened you know you never christened me you know classic LA (laughs) but um, you know not not getting christened, but deciding to get christened. But and fair enough, you know, if that makes you happy. So that created a different bond between us, uh, for sure. Because when she was a kid, she used to just snarl at me because I used to try and talk her into doing vocals on love, like, come and do some harmonies. I bet you've got a great voice. And she was like, you know, piss off, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then
2: one one day I coaxed her. So then our relationship just developed and when Keith has asked me, I, I called her up and I says, look, I'm doing this one-off record for this club in Todmerton, Todmorton, you know, the golden lion up there, <laughs> yeah. it's, mad little place. I played there on Saturday night. It was insane. There was literally it it was like a goal being scored for wow. four hours. And people just pogoing and stuff, you know? So anyway, I did that track and I, I just had a turn of phrase, like a phrase, which was love is a mystery. And I says, you know, let's just play with this. And then, yeah. I'll cut it all up and put different echoes and delays and reverbs and stuff on it and we did it and it sounded really good and then I wrote Hope is the Last Thing to Die because there is a version of this album with me singing all the songs so I would sort of write the song sing the song send it to her and then she would copy me but she would add her own sort of style but Raven is I always describe her as like Michelle Phillips but with tons of attitude you know so it's not like sunny and even though her voice is really beautiful, it's not twee or flowery or anything. There's a kind of a toughness to it. One and then we did. It's over if it's and then I went fuck. We got to do the album, (laughs) so I continued just writing, singing the songs, getting the melodies, harmonies, and then I'd send them to her, and then she would send it back, and I'd be like, "Holy shit!" And there was a part of that because I had to make a decision at a point whether it was going to be her or me, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do a duet thing. And I've been doing a lot of mush. I did a lot of mushroom therapy, and you know, one of the things that it did was completely decimate my ego so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like actually with Raven singing these songs it's going to have a lot more power those words coming out of the voice of a of a young mid-20s woman yeah and you know I was like yeah let's let's just do that so I got her involved in the album and she wrote to me on Friday and she says uh, she thanked me for going through that journey it was really cathartic for her and it helped her sort out a lot of stuff in her life and that was the best thing ever, you know, just to hear that. So I think I'm going to put the record out maybe though, my, like my With version. Your,
1: yeah.
2: 500 copy like Record Store Day or something, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it's interesting that, isn't it, in terms of like how it can be the same thing really, but can be many different versions of it in a way. Yeah, wow, it's, I'd love to get one done that. in
2: French, you know, <laughs> get like a French singer to just like, okay, here's all the words, do the whole thing in French or do it in Italian, you know, because probably because, you know, all the themes in the record are so universal. When we grew up, there were pockets of chaos and trouble, like Belfast is a perfect example, but it was never, we we never had this kind of like everyone, like the way everyone went through COVID together. It was such a new experience. So maybe it will translate into other other languages, maybe. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But that that marriage of kind of, you know, the what you've created, Raven's voice, but then also these wonderful kind of recordings of spoken word of different languages that are already in there with really kind of now more than ever in terms of making people think and consider other cultures, other people, other experiences of what people are going through. You know, I think it's it's so not enough people are doing that within their creativity.
2: Well, it becomes about the way rather than me, you know what I mean? And. Actually, something I learned from Noel Gallagher, just, I mean, I think that's a feeling anyway, but I heard an interview with him and he said, you know, the reason why Oasis were so successful is because it was about us. It wasn't about me. It was like, you know, we're, we're a gang, we're a team, we're going forward, we're all in this together. I mean, I wasn't thinking that, but it was obviously happening, you know, throughout. Yeah. And then I realized at a certain point that, like, I'm speaking for a lot of people. This isn't just a very singular Sort of view. So, all those voices on the record, the first one is like a a kid from Afghanistan who's like 17. And it was him basically just saying how betrayed he felt about, you know, when the invasion happened, as he called it. You know, they were there to give the people freedom and from these tyrants. And and then suddenly overnight, they were just going, all right, we're away. And uh, it's back to normal. And so he made his way from Afghanistan and ended up in Belfast. But he says that Belfast was the first place he got to where people were really warm to him and uh, understood his plight. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, you know, I felt really proud of that because a lot of people here, I think, not everyone, of course, but there's definitely a lot of people who have learned from history. It's that adage, you know, that uh, expression, uh, Uh, what is it those who forget their past are condemned to repeat it and I think in Belfast there's a lot of people who haven't forgot so they know what it's like to feel marginalized in turn you're welcoming other people in like we don't have a a real we don't have racism here really I mean if it happens it's just some angry man who's (laughs) hates himself actually (laughs) yeah you know
0: It's going to do with him rather than the other person.
2: Exactly, exactly. Mm. So it was lovely to get that. And then I had an ambulance driver from Gaza and a, a Ukrainian refugee.
1: And then I, I wrote
2: some things myself, like the French piece, which was basically just stating the facts about, you know, what was happening behind COVID and then my friend uh, Kieran O'Mahar who's a Irish speaking scholar and I wrote a thing about the DUP and how they kind of weave this carrot uh, of your culture is under threat mm. but actually these people a lot of these people in these like urban areas are struggling to pay their electricity bill and you know they won't even go in the government because yeah. it means they're having to sort of sit with Sinn Fein and you're just like why don't you just get on and start representing the pe- your people who are hungry and really struggling with inflation? Electricity and gas is through the roof. People are just, you know, uh, nothing's adding up. So that stuff really angers me as well. But I think a lot of people would say that across every community. You know, well, there's that- a new generation of kids now in Belfast who are, they're just kind of going, these are all fucking insane. Yeah, <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Uh, and, and they can't really get their head around what Belfast used to be like because they've only yeah. known it one day and one way. And that's without the troubles. That's really encouraging and great to see, you know.
0: It's such a beautiful journey with this record, David. It really is. It's kind of like and I I really like as well, like even like, you know, the, the the fact that the title track's the last track as well. And just how that oh, it's just the most amazing kind of uh, kind of crescendo, really, to the journey that you go on with it. Well, oh, it's you. A real example of just an advocate for albums in terms of the the opportunity of storytelling within them and exactly. the journey you can go on and you know you wouldn't pick up a book and read chapter 2 then chapter 10 then chapter 5 sort of thing. It's kind of like no. this is a great example of an album that you should sit down or just have on and listen right through because it's yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, it's thank so you good. so much.
2: You've just made my Monday which well it looks like the, the world is ending outside. <laughs> A lot better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it really is, yeah. And, and I keep going, kind of back to it. It's like a, it's like a lovely companion as well. It's like, oh, oh
2: wow, like, oh, yeah,
1: wow, it's great! Thank you so How, much.
0: Because it has been a while since you released something for you, really. Even though you know, you know, you're saying it's not about you, but it's come from you. Yeah, um, sure. and so much of the stuff that you've done over the since the last David Holmes record has been. For other people and for other things, whether it be Workman Noel, you know, and I, I remember chatting to him when you'd worked with him on that first record and kind of when he was just so proud and kind of grateful for what you'd unlocked in him, you know, in terms of like pushing him in, in, in directions that he was probably maybe slightly apprehensive about going down and things. And then all the, the soundtrack stuff, whether it be things like, you know, Soderbergh, who we've talked about you on the show when I was lucky enough to have him on the show and or Killin' Eve or Good Vibrations, The Fall, all that stuff, you know, it's just, has, has all that fed into this in a way or, or is it a totally different thing for you working on the soundtrack stuff to working on your own stuff?
2: Film music is more like a craft and, and the odd time it becomes like just art and that's all to that do with the film. So I'm always like working to a story. And I think that's why my albums are kind of like a bit almost conceptual. You know, I would never call it a concept album, but there is a story. And I think fundamentally music for film is storytelling. So you're working with the story, but you're also collaborating. And I just try to collaborate with people who have good taste in music because it's very difficult to get someone to understand something that they don't feel. You have to be really careful who you work with. I love doing that. I just love the whole, the freshness of it. I think that's the way my brain is wired as well. Like I was, before lockdown, I was diagnosed with a really intense form of OCD. But because I didn't have the compulsion, like the washing of the hands, the turning off the lights, just going around the whole house, everything has to be in perfect order. I just had the obsession. But my obsession would build into self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, it became out of control or 75% of that is really productive and great. And then you've got the other 25% that can actually be just really destructive. And you start inventing things in your brain and, you know, you read into everything. But I think everyone is guilty of that of mm-hmm. to a certain degree. But with me, I couldn't get off the Ferris wheel. So I was just, it would just spiral out of control to the point where you're like, you know, seeking help. Uh, once I had that diagnosis, it became kind of tangible you know I could I was like it was like a relief because I just thought it was you know 30 years of acid house (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know I remember the psychiatrist said and said to me that didn't help but that's not what your problem is and he was able to bring it right back to trauma that I suffered like growing up in Belfast but it was brilliant it felt like oh my god I can actually see again and Then I I started doing the mushroom, like the psychedelic therapy, just micro, and reading a lot about understanding why that works. Because when I was young, the psychedelics I took, I was just greedy. And, you know, it just became about like sort of rolling around laughing with your friends or in a couple of cases, rolling around crying because you were having a terrible time. But it it was about understanding that actually... When you have a problem in your mind, you don't run away from it. You actually invite it in for a chat in your mind, and you work yeah. it out because you're getting this kind of like shift of perspective in your brain, like the doors of perception. You know, it's kind of it just helps you see things from a, like, a different angle. So, yeah, I, I mean, just just having that shift of perspective, suddenly I felt like a completely new person, like a completely cleared uh, the fog. Mm -hmm. And I started to see things much more clearly. I was one of the lucky ones that used COVID to do something like that. You know, I'm going to like take charge of my mental health. But through that, I had more time for other things, you know, like what's going on in the world. And being a child of the troubles, the last thing I wanted to talk about in 1989 was the troubles. I was too busy having the best time of my life. (laughs) I actually seen an old interview of mine in Jockey Slut, it was like 1991 or something, and I said the first thing was, I don't want to talk about the troubles you know, because I was just it was still in, it was still happening yeah. so I was kind of like running away from it completely, so it was like yeah, I could see everything just so much more clearly and I, you know, I just start writing stuff down, like notes thoughts, you know, I'd hear like a reader say something or I'd hear something on a radio show, anything, you know, wherever I picked it up, I'd just write it down. That all started to sort of form like songs. And uh, I didn't think I'm, I here I'm writing a, a protest album. I was just following my heart, but I was really still getting quite angry and, you know, but not about the wrong things, not about this yeah. the, your 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 imagination running away with itself and learning how to live in the moment. It's like a get you know, just getting this was like the best gift ever. And I kind of felt like, you know, I kind of feel like at the beginning of something. You know, so I just kept on going and it just fire was back in my belly. And I really Maisie, get back here. Come on. Come on. It's the first time she's ever done that. Hang on a sec. Your dog. This is Maisie.
0: Hi, Maisie. Oh Yeah.
2: I oh know It's a lot of attention, don't you?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, up there, oh. I love it. I, I, <laughs> um, I think you'd be surprised how many people. I mean, I, I definitely feel like I had a, a little bit of that during COVID because there was nowhere to escape to, so you had to almost address stuff that was going on kind of internally with yourself before you could help others around you, you know, the family and whatnot and stuff. One of the things I think that for me was that I, on those mornings where you'd wake up and you felt like there was like a cloud just there weighing you down. It yeah, was kind of going, just get into that point where you had to just go and, okay, I've recognised that. I know that it's it's going to be one of those days. I don't quite know why yet, but I've just got to recognise it, uh, accept it, and then know that tomorrow's going to be another day. I don't know whether that's why, maybe why, like, with the, the record and stuff in terms of like, the journey that I went on listening to it for the, for the first time I listened to it. It's that kind of thing. I think you'll be surprised how many people will relate to what you're talking about there in terms of kind of COVID actually was, Forced period was a real not for everybody, but for some people was a moment for them to kind of help them find themselves a bit.
2: Yeah, like yourself, I feel very grateful that I was able to do that during COVID. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there were obviously there was a lot of horror stories of you know just people, too many people in the same room, twenty four seven. You know what I mean? And uh, so I I I always think about those people as well you know just to be able to reset was like a blessing (laughs) it's kind of like you're just waiting for the rest of the world to sort itself out so we can all be happy again but it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon
0: how are we lucky that we've got film and music to escape to in this world it's like god almighty if now more than ever getting into a cinema and escaping to like oh it's just like god we need it more than ever i was listening back to um when Soderbergh came on the the podcast, you know, it's a good few years ago now for Logan Lucky. And I was just listening back to that at the weekend, actually. And I was terrified about interviewing him, I've got to be honest, because I don't know what it was. I was just, I think it's because maybe I wanted to impress him or I wanted him to know that I didn't want to kind of fan girl out and I didn't want to sort of gush. I wanted yeah, to yeah. learn. And I wanted to know stuff for, for him. And I've, in my head, I was intimidated by him before I'd even met him, which is such bullshit. And he was just, I don't know, he's just kind of just so, he was so brilliant talking about you and just about how much you informed so much of the landscape of the films you worked on together. I mean, if you think of those Oceans films, the music around those films is the color of those films. It's the, the rhythm of those films. It's so much about, it's the tone of those films. took away all the music in those films I mean they would still be entertaining but in no way to the level that they are and I hope you take a minute to sort of appreciate that as well.
2: Yeah I mean I haven't thought of it like that before uh, because I just think you know I just try to do the best job I can and then Mm. that's why I still work with Stephen because as a director you have to wear every single hat so you want to know that people that you know the heads of department as it were that is working For a director, any director, you want to think that they're giving you as much as they're given to the project. And that's all I ever try to do. uh, Because I think that's like a a working class sort of ethic, you know, like you're given an opportunity and you don't try not to fuck it up. Yeah. And I think that I've always, I've never took that for granted because Stephen, you know, working for him, especially him, it's sort of, uh, allows you the freedom to go and do like produce a band that have absolutely no money, which I'm doing at the minute. Like I've done it before. I've done it a few times, but I could never do that if I hadn't, you know, working for Steven, because it kind of just gives you a breather to be able to go, okay, let's, let's do something or let's do like a really small budget or, you know, produce someone or, you know, so I love all aspects of what I do probably because of the way my brain is wired, like the obsessional thing. So I can, you know, I like having a few projects going at the same time because when you stop working on one and you jump into another, when I'm in that other one, all I'm doing is giving it that 100% attention. So when I come back to the other one, I have a real clear perspective. It's much more objective, you know, rather than like, sometimes you just can't see the woods for the trees. So when you... When you step back from that, it really actually helps the other projects because you're just not fixed to it all the time. And, it, yeah. and it, it remains fresh in your mind, you know, so that's a real positive, you know. Yeah. But Soderbergh is, it's amazing, you know, we've never actually went out and, hey, I'm in town, do you want to grab a drink or anything like that? You know, we're friends, but in a, in, a, in a very unique way, you know. Yeah. And so when he asked me to do something, I'm just like... <laughs> I'll start tonight. Start sending
0: him playlists. He loves, like, he was just, like, he was just, you could see his face lighting up when he was kind of almost, like, recollecting, like, just the constant music that you would send him, like, and stuff that he'd never heard of. And he's like, where does he find this stuff? It's like, he's just this amazing kind of, like, encyclopedia of music that he just like throws up things that you didn't even know that you needed but as soon as you hear it you're like I needed that
2: (laughs) yeah no, that's lovely to hear when I do like any project even though I've got like you know tons of records and you know blah 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 music was always first in my life before any form of career or anything like, like that doing it for a living allows you the luxury you know buying records is what I do you know so uh, to me that's just like whoa i never wanna lose this yeah so if i have a thing i will go and do loads of research i mean i have a massive record collection of course i do but i still if i have a certain project that's got a certain style or just the director has a certain vision i'll i'll do a lot of research mm-hmm. as well and yeah. sometimes my record collection it's all there for me Sometimes you just have to go and you know dig even deeper. But that's that's an amazing that's so exciting to do because yeah. it's music that I love. Like I I've got a theory which is only send them music that you love, and then no matter what they choose, <laughs> it'll be something that you love. Yeah. You know, and then you have to respect the director where he's thinking, Trevor I have such a shorthand with Steven now mm.
1: where
2: he can just say this is the ballpark. You know, we don't even discuss the script. He just trusts that I read the script and then I understand the story. And yeah. then he says, this is your ballpark. That ballpark, I got to sort of like unpack in loads of different ways, you know? So it's it's like, okay, I have to imagine this ballpark emotionally. How can I turn this into several different emotions? And with excitement and, you know, all of that. So, because, you know, the films just have a a trajectory of lots of different moments that yeah. turn into sequences that are emotionally all different. So some of the my favorite work I've done without seeing the film. So, you know, you, you read the script, you talk to the director, and then you imagine what the score is or the, you know, for songs, and then you just do a bunch and then give it over and it all works. And I'm like that's so good because if I was working and I'm watching the picture all the time that's going to affect what the music's like so you're actually you're doing it's just a different way of doing it at the end of the day what you're imagining is a world that's littered with with different emotions and so So and then you just start to create your own continuity you know it just you just feel it rather than think it
0: Was that the same with Killing Eve you know in terms of that episodic thing?
2: Killing Eve was just one of those projects that fell out of the sky and just <laughs> landed in on love's back garden because we when I met Kefis and Jade we made about 30 tracks and we didn't really have a home for them you know but then we signed a heavenly or we put the first one out ourselves actually um, but we had all these other tracks and then I was asked to do it the story obviously female female led very female show period yeah. I just had a feeling that on love was going to work So I sent them all the tracks and they sent me back the first episode and they had four tracks in the first episode. So that became a voice. So once I once I seen it work, it was like, well, this is I mean, this is perfect. So then I started introducing other tracks like that represented the different countries, you know, like Spanish music, hip, cool, in the same ballpark, you know, was on love, but French, Italian, you know, which all these tracks exist. That's one I didn't have to do much research for because I, I had them all. And then they just, I sent them a few scenes with the score and they they didn't really react that well. But they were kind of giving me notes and I says, look, let me give you, an episode from start to finish just let me do the thing like the whole thing and they said okay let's give it a go and I sent them the episode and they didn't have any notes it was like right so they kind of set the the tone with using all the Unlove tracks so I just continued that and I think in the end they might have licensed like 125 licenses or something throughout the whole series so it was it was brilliant for our band because it meant that we were actually really successful, but but nobody knew who we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I think we've got like you know it's like definitely over fifty million like Spotify sort wow. of streams, and still haven't earned any money. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! Unbelievable! I mean, that's a crime in itself. But you know, <laughs> so we, that just became really. That was just magic, you know, when that happened. Yeah. So it became like such a, a huge launching pad for the band. I'm not actually in the band anymore. I I, I left because I just I just want to do different things. Just yeah. I want to try new things and we only get one go, don't we?
1: Absolutely. There were no candles lit, the room was dark as night. Just like the corners of my mind.
0: rabbit hole of just kind of reading and watching stuff that you when you know talking about things and were film soundtracks a big part? You know, you you said earlier about music being the kind of first love, always, you know, before you thought about it as a career sort of thing. And did film soundtracks, were film soundtracks part of that? Because I heard you say that weirdly I was watch I watched Midnight Cowboy last week and I hadn't watched it in ages. And then I went down my rabbit hole of you and I heard you say that it was one of your favourite scores like of all time. And I was like, yeah, oh. I
2: mean, for many reasons, I grew up in a house full of music of like youngest of 10 kids. And I was a complete accident. So I had a sister who was 19 and yeah. then 18, 17, you know, like it was like a Monty Python sketch, the way my mom was having kids. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, so I, I grew up around punk and 60s beat and rhythm and blues and and soundtracks, you know. Midnight Cowboy, I of that soundtrack, you know, and this is something that I've only realised over the last ten years or whatever. But I realised that when I was a kid, there were so many times I wasn't allowed out because of trouble on the street. Yeah. So all you have is like we had no money, you know. My mom had three jobs, my dad had three jobs. Everybody helped out in the house. It was like you know, you had a three, three or four bedroom terrace house with ten kids and mum and dad and so I spent so much time, you you're just in your imagination. And when you were allowed out, that's when you could have fun like any other kid. But Belfast, it was a bit different. You know, you had all these other weird options, like breaking into sort of bombed out houses, <laughs> you know, and making huts and stuff. People yeah. just had their, their different way of doing that, right, growing up. And uh, But I spent a lot of time indoors and listened to me, like got really into punk, like I was eight. I didn't understand it. Didn't know what it was. Couldn't spell anarchy. <laughs> Never mind knew but you. What felt it, it? I felt it, and that's exactly what happened. So, having that kind of, I was having an education by just listening to music. And Midnight Cowboy was was one of those films. I I seen Midnight Cowboy late night on television, and the first time I seen it was in black and white, and it was the first time that. I'd I'd felt funny, you know, like sexually, w- without touching myself. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just trying to sort of like be, yeah. be creative how I'm putting this. I've always wanted to be part of those worlds. I've always wanted to be part of a gang, but in a really productive way, not never never violent, just more dangerous and just being more like a peacock rather than just one of the lads. Edith, I'm sure you're the, you were the same. You know, you're just, you grow up with all these different kind of obsessions, but totally. they're all outside the box of kind of just normal, normal life. I don't know, maybe maybe we were the ones who were are normal. <laughs> it's looking like that at the minute. I know. Um, it's so
0: interesting. You said something earlier that I totally related to where you were saying about, you know, coming from like a working class background and kind of having to sort of um work harder to kind of to get in the door sort of thing and and that never really leaving you. And I still feel like that where, you know, it's sort of almost like that person put their hand up, kind of going, Yeah, what about you what about what about what about sort of thing and kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. never never sort of expecting anything or having anything land at your door It always being something you've got to fight for or work for and stuff and I love that that's the way that I get stuff or do stuff or this you know this podcast for example you know it came out of nothing apart from pure frustration of not being given a show regularly well fuck it I'm going to do it myself and it's that kind of thing where you've just got to you've got to kind of fight for the things that you want to do Um, and and it's gone great I believe do you know what I love it and it's my pride and joy professionally and we launched in August 2016 and we've missed two episodes and we put out one every week and Fantastic. there's nobody telling us who to have on it's about who we want to have on and it could be you know someone like Soderbergh or it could be someone like Charlotte Regan who's just released her first feature film Scrapper that blew my mind you know it's about people having an opportunity to t- talk about their creativity and what inspired them and all that kind of stuff.
2: You're actually finding that so much, so much better, so much more fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Not being told,
0: or you can't have them on because they're not a big enough name, or nobody will know who they are. It's like it doesn't matter. Like we were saying, going back to that music thing about you were saying about the magazine. It's like let's not put the Rolling Stones in the cover. Exactly, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. It's like whether yeah. they've got a story to tell, something exactly. to share. I mean, who cares?
2: Like, they had their time, they help people who were making really exciting music. They're gonna die. Very, 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 very wealthy. <laughs> There's people out there who are really talented and yeah. need our support, you know.
0: It's also um, that thing when you hear about how much some of the bands charge for like <clears throat> stuff on films. Do you know what I mean? And you go like, and it's always the kind of big guns that are like charging like unbelievable amounts of money, sort of thing. But then you hear these lovely stories where I don't know, someone like Michael Stipe from RDN will just kind of give his music to to new filmmakers because he wants to help them on that journey sort of thing. It's like... Yeah, I do
2: that as well. I mean, I, 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 it's really difficult to make a film. And if you're just beginning and you're just yeah. starting out, it's still the same amount of hard work. You still need the same equipment. Okay, everything has to be micromanaged, budget-wise, hopefully not creativity, but it's really difficult to make a film. So I support anyone who's like you know, I haven't got any money, but this track is working so great. And, you know, if I'm into what they're doing, it doesn't even have to be a masterpiece, but if their intentions are good, then I'll be like, of course, just take it, you know? Um,
1: Well,
0: that's what's so so great about you when you see, you know, the kind of, you know, the the work that you've done, whether it be with the kind of big guns, but then also supporting those kind of independent films like 71 or Good Vibrations and stuff as well, you know, in terms of getting involved in those stories, because, well, I guess with those, You've got a, a knowledge of those worlds that you can, I guess, bring oh, yeah. musically as well sort sure. of thing. But you don't have to do that, but you have. Do you know what I mean? And that's great. Oh,
2: yeah. No, that, that, that is, that's the reason why I didn't live in it. My wife, my daughter and I, we went to LA for a year. I, I was working with Soderbergh. So kind of bought us the chance to sort of do that. Yeah. And I was like, you know, Lisa works at the BBC. So she was able to get a year off. Nina was seven. So it was like this is a really good time to put her into a different school in a different country just for that experience. Well, one day Lisa says, would you live here if it wasn't sunny? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Fuck no. Um, you know, and then I just we decided, you know, that we miss Europe. Over in Los Angeles, it's more of a business than it's ever been. It's fair to say that there's a lot of people in charge of things that shouldn't be. And it's become more about money. Mm-hmm. and it's more like a fairground ride you know and if you're a big name director you will get the support from the streamers and they'll leave you alone but new talent is coming in and it's being micromanaged. And oh you can't do that and you can't oh no you can't have that so you know yeah And it's kind of like sort of upside down so I kind of felt that doesn't happen as much in Europe and it didn't because I had a production company and we were we made good vibrations and then Love I, was 70, I know, it's a really...
0: Love that film.
2: Yeah. It's hard to make a, a good film about music. Glenn and Lisa actually are directing, they're making a documentary about Weatherall. Oh, really? Andrew Weatherall, yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, they're so talented. I mean, they are so clever. I put them up there with anyone that I've ever worked with. Uh, and, and they're really great people as well.
1: Oh, so from great. that
2: onwards, I just didn't really stop in the independent world, and yeah, but to me, they're all really good projects. You know, like to me, a great project is a great project, no matter who, what size the budget is, or yeah. who's producing it. You know, if there's a brilliant energy among everyone, and everybody's there to sort of do something great, it's the best yeah. feeling ever. I just, I did a film with Michael Winterbottom, Shoshana, which is ironically about the you know the birth of the Zionist sort of mm. movement. But set in the in the nineteen thirties, when the you know the British Empire were at the at the helm, and you had the friction between the Zionist and the sort of Muslim sort of communities, and uh, that actually the premiere at the London Film F- Film Festival was actually October the seventh, so <laughs> it was the timing was just wow.
1: Wow. Um,
2: so I love doing films that have history and or saying something important. And you're working with a director who is really open to new sounds and wants to do things differently. Yeah. So, yeah, I've just been uh, just grateful to have met a bunch of those people. Mm. Um, But it's getting harder and harder to get films made. We need to get back to the 1970s.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you mind if I ask you about Sinead?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, the only thing I've been told not to talk about is the music um, because... We have an album. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. It's weirdly prophetic. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. You know, I can talk about that uh, for sure. Well, what else can I say about the music? You know what I mean? The only thing I I, I wouldn't, I don't even know if I would ever feel qualified to talk about Sinead songs. I think that was the beauty of her. She used to tell me that she told people the songs were about something else. <laughs> Just it's, it's none of their business. But uh, that's the beauty about songs. People will take from it what they yeah. will and it will grow on so many different in so many different ways. But working with her was an extraordinary and beautiful experience. You know, I to me she was a woman of unbelievable integrity, the sharpest wit, the crudest <laughs> Dirtiest uh, humour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> for me, but actually laughing my tits off at the same time. Yeah. But it, I met her in, um, do you want to ask me something specific?
0: Well, I just, I was interested as to how, how that project started.
2: Well, I kind of, I met her in, um, at Shane McGann's 60th in Dublin. And there was a lot of amazing artists performing that night. Bobby and Nick Cave, uh, Bono, Sinead, Amelda May, ton of people. They're all there to for Shane. And Sinead stole the show. It wasn't even close. She came on and she did You're the One. And you could have heard a pin drop. It was so visceral and so beautiful. And she looked incredible. And I was just going, fucking hell. And I, I've always loved her. I've always like really admired her. I always knew she was right about,
1: everything.
2: you know, yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she had been punished badly, treated abominably. She, that night, completely just, you know, it was like every hair, you know, yeah. it was like, fuck. You know, just the, the sheer power of that. So I was backstage after. I just seen her out of the corner of my eye, and she was coming my direction. And I just stopped her, and I says, "Look, I'm sure you don't know my name or anything about me or anything, but I'm a music producer, and I would love to make a record with you about healing." And at that time, I've been going through my own mm-hmm. mental health, but I, I found that music always really helped me. And that her her ears pricked up, and she related to that, you know, and, and she said, she gave me a number. And I called her a couple of days later and I started sending her pieces of music. And then she rang me up one day. It wasn't that long after that. And she says, I'm moving to Belfast. And I was like, when, when are you thinking? He says, I'm on the motorway. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the way. So she got herself an Airbnb in Eglintown Avenue in Belfast. And then I went to see her, but I was going to uh, my nephew's uh, wedding Mm -hmm. in Chicago. So I left her a couple of tracks for her to write on. And then she had one when I got back. And then I moved her into a little bungalow that I own just off the Arma Road. And you know, got the chimney swept and got the place looking nice for her. And she moved in there for a while. So when I come back, she we recorded the first song and I can talk about this because she already released it. She just put it up online. In fact, she's put some of the songs up online and then taken them down again, you know. It's very Sinead. Fuck it, you know, I want you to hear it, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: no. <laughs> and uh, she recorded that song and then she left the house and, you know, she she wasn't in a great way. It was The track was Milestones, which if you listen to it, it was just, Very, very heavy. It was just after she'd come back from America, and she, you know, she'd done the Doctor Phil show and all that, but all all very well documented. But she, she wasn't in a great place with her mental health at that point. And then we did another one, which is on the record. That's that, that that hasn't been heard yet. That's that's really special. And then she went back to Dublin, and I never heard from her again for about a year. And then she contacted me through BP Fallon. And said, like, would you like to pick up again? And I was like, of course, absolutely. You know, like, no problem. Like, I I, I fully recognized that Shania had mental health issues. There was, like, yeah. nothing that I was angry about. You know, you, you, you need to be extremely patient with people. Absolutely. Um, when they have mental health issues. And I, I think I'd learned probably a lot about that just from having my own mental health issues. So I knew how I, I wanted to be handled yeah. Even though she was on a different level of mental health, you know, it was much more severe than mine. But, you know, then we just picked up, and then she would send me a song that she had recorded on a karaoke machine, and it still sounded unbelievable, like a cappella, oh. you know. And she says, Can you work with that? I went, Fuck yeah. So <laughs> create the music around that and get that, you know, the arrangement and everything just with her vocals just cut in and stuff. And then she would come to Belfast and record for real. But the best story is when we did Trouble of the World for Black Lives Matter. She reminded me, I want to do Trouble of the World, Black Lives Matter. Can we do it? And I was like, fuck yeah. And uh I looked into sort of the music and we discussed it. And I sent her you know, a couple of ideas and just you know, taking it in this direction and having these really ghostly, early Disney kind of style, spiritual backing vocals. She was totally into it. She just let me do my thing, and then I got my team together, and like just the A-team, you know, of like, I had Robert Hurst playing upright bass. like He played at Alice Coltrane's funeral, and then this spiritual sort of choir from Detroit. And then she said, right, I'm coming up on Monday. We'll record the vocals. And then she came up, we recorded the vocals, and we did another song that was way better. But the other song had so much energy and Triple of the World was much more like emotional, I think. Yeah. But we knew we hadn't got it right, you know. And then she she said, uh, I'll come back on Wednesday. I'll, I'll I'll learn it. You know, I'll spend a bit more time with it. it. has to be perfect. And I was like, absolutely no problem. So I was up on the Wednesday night up until about five in the morning. I just crawled into bed. It was like five, five thirty crawling in the bed. And I didn't think she was going to be coming up until like three in the afternoon. Yeah. And um, doorbell went, nine o'clock. Lisa says, I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it. And then Lisa appeared, like, I'm back to sleep. Lisa appeared. You're never going to believe who's at the front door. And I was like, it's Sinead, isn't it? She went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got up, jump into the shower, like, just, you know. And went downstairs and she says like, I was just so excited. I was so excited to sing that song. I couldn't sleep. So I left Bray, which is like about three and a half hour drive. I left Bray at about 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and I drove up. She had been sitting in my driveway since half seven and waited until nine. So I come up, we set the the mic up, and she just did it in one take. Honestly, I've never woke up so fast in my life because (laughs) I just knew I was never going to forget this moment and how amazing it was, and... It was just like, I knew I was having my Nina Simone. Like, this is like recording Nina Simone. That that's yeah. what you're dealing with here. And, you know, as a music producer, you know, you only dream that you could have a moment like that, like ever. And it was so amazing, but she was so just like sort of nonchalant. I'm starving. So we went downstairs and we made her a bacon sandwich and a cup of tea. And I think it was like by 10, half 10, she was like back in the car way back to Bray. Oh, but I can't wait for people to hear the record. You know, it's 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 really something. I'm so happy that we we just you know I got to know her a bit. You know, as much as you can, like over six you're years. To make memories. Yeah, no, they're just yeah. I mean, she made me laugh so much. <laughs> and she would always she'd ring me up and said, "How are you doing? I heard you're working too hard. Slow down. You know, if you ever need to talk to me, I'm here." And I was like, "Wow." This wow. woman. I mean, she's just the real thing, you know. Have you read her memoir, Remembrances? No.
0: no. Get the
2: audio book. Because she says, get the audio book, because the funny bits are much funnier.
0: I thought Catherine's it, documentary was amazing.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. Thought, and Catherine, Catherine's lovely. You know, yeah. she's really talented. And she's, you know, she really, that was a proper labour of love, you know. And uh, she got great support doing yeah. that from John Reynolds and people really... They really helped her a lot. But all, it's just strange to me when you see the definitive documentary, the definitive book, and the definitive album all appear, and she's not around. Yeah, it's very sad that she's yeah. not here. To it all up. After she died, one of the most touching things for, for me was just the amount of fans, especially girls, growing up in Ireland in the 80s and 90s and stuff, and they... I lost count how many times I heard someone say she saved my life. And then you kind of realize that, that this is a an artist of, of such extraordinary measures that she actually, without even knowing it,
0: not, her not suffering
2: sorry. was helping other people and how she expressed her suffering through song. And that suffering went on to sort of help so many people, especially girls, understand who they are, understand who they were, that they weren't alone. And to me, that is just, Extraordinary legacy that you could leave as an artist, but there are stars, you know, and there's people who are brilliant and like really clever and genius, and you know, and then you've got people who are on a different tier, you know, like the Elvis and Ray Charles and Nina Simone and Sinead ben O'Connell, but yeah, exactly, Bob Dylan, you know, John Lennon, you know, they're just, and I put her in that definitely, in you know, in that company.
0: Well please can we can we have a, a return chat when you can't talk about it and we can I would love
2: to. You've got the exclusive.
0: Oh, I'd love that, David. It'd be just wonderful to celebrate her with you when yeah, we can I, I mean, we can talk is, about the music.
2: Everyone's gonna be all over me like a rash for this, right? But I, I, I definitely wanna be careful who I speak to because Precious. I keep on asking myself, what would Sinead do? And it's not to sort of jump into bed with anyone to tell her story or, 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 you know, know, through that last period, you know, especially creatively speaking. You know, it's funny, go walking through the park and become a really good friend with this guy. I only met him, like, when I was, like, turned 50, you know, late 40s. Uh, He's a kickboxer, like, world champion, four different weights. And we'd walk through the park and sometimes, you know, we always say hello to people on the street. Hey, how's it going? And then some people would just, like, not even look at you. But the conversation that he would he you know, he he would say to me, he says, It's so easy to think that someone is rude, but we've no idea what's going on inside their head, what problems they're facing and stuff. And it definitely made me not look at that the same. You know, like you know, sometimes some walk by, you just go, how rude? Like, at least say hello back. But actually that person could be going through hell in their own mind, and the last thing that's on their mind is being happy. Sinead had a lot of stuff going on for sure that I will never know or understand because I'm not living.
0: Exactly. You know what I
2: mean? We're yeah. all on our own personal journey that's just full of, it's, you know, it's complex, isn't it?
0: Totally. Well, listen, see how you feel when it gets to that point, when it's uh, 100%,
2: when it's,
0: when it's out there. Because I would. You know, I'll I tell uh... you what,
2: once I find out that the album's being released, what we could do is we could even do it way in advance. Amazing. All right, um, darling.
0: Thanks for your time. It's been a great oh. tweet, finally. I feel like we yeah. hardly, like, I didn't go through my list of stuff I wanted to talk about, but we got loads of other times to do that, I hope.
2: All right, thank you so much. Take
0: All care,
1: right.
0: David.
1: Have a great right, day. Lots of you love. Too. Bye. Soon I will be done With the trouble of the world Trouble trouble
0: As mentioned by David Holmes, that Sinead O'Connor's version of Trouble of the World. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with a Belfast producer. My huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us. His album Blind on a Galloping Horse is out now and I very much look forward to speaking to him again for round two. If you'd like to listen to that chat that I had with Steven Soderbergh, then head to edithbowman.com where you'll be able to find every single episode of the podcast. Follow us on socials and subscribe to our YouTube channel for loads of video content, including lots of exclusives. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, none other, can't believe I'm saying this, than Julia Roberts and Sam Eshmael. They're talking about their new film, Leave the World Behind, which is coming to Netflix on the 8th of December. And uh, I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.